invasion, as it has been for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it could be worse. Summer in Mount Paulburn is always mobbed and busy and a bit nuts, as everyone tries to make enough money to get them through the long, cold winter. But in the spring, the tourists haven't quite started yet, or at least there's normally a bit of a rush at Easter, when everyone turns up and hopes for the best, and pretends that they aren't remotely disappointed when the wind that used to wreck ships on that treacherous stretch of southern Cornish coastline blows their candy floss right back in their faces. That the picturesque bounce of the fishing boats that line the little harbour isn't done just to look nice in holiday videos, but is actually the white-tipped waves hurling the boats about, with red-fingered fishermen mending nets, or, more commonly these days, frowning at computer printouts showing shoals and movements and tallying up just how much they can take from the sea. But once the slightly disappointed Easter holidaymakers, and the incredibly smug ones, I should say, who hang on until the second Tuesday and are rewarded with a golden day so exquisitely perfect and beautiful that they annoy their friends immeasurably for the next five years by reminiscing about it, have gone, Mount Polburn has a short respite before the summer floods arrive. Children with crabbing nets, adults dreaming of the kind of holidays they had as children with wide golden beaches and the freedom to run around until they realise that the causeway doesn't have any sides and the tide rushes in astonishingly fast and what was perfectly okay for their parents to let them do in 1985 is now a bit horrifying. And, well... Obviously, they'll need good Wi-Fi too, something Mount Polburn can't provide, but they'll just have to make the best of it. In April, then, Mount Polburn takes a breath. Looking towards the mainland, you can see the trees starting to blossom out in great big garlands of pink and white. Days that start chilly and unpredictable suddenly get a darting bolt of sunlight, and the early morning mist burns off and the heat rises and releases that gorgeous aroma of everything growing and birds building nests and chattering to one another and the light, bright green of trees in bud and a particular buzzing, gentle loveliness that is England in early spring at its very best. Our story does not stay there, but it begins there, and it should be a time of new beginnings, of cheery emerging from winter fleeces and television and blinking into the fresh light of the morning. Mostly, though, it has Polly Waterford's best friend, the blonde and sophisticated Carenza, wife of Huckle's best friend, swearing wildly down the phone. Stop swearing, said Polly sensibly, rubbing her eyes. I can't make out a word you're saying. As it so often did, the connection cut out between Polburn and the mainland, where Carenza lived in a huge and ridiculously opulent mansion with her wunderkind and quite noisy American husband, Reuben. Who was that? said Huckle, waiting for toast to pop up in the sunny kitchen of the lighthouse they shared, a faded grey T-shirt pulled on over his boxers. It wasn't really warm enough for just that, 
but Polly absolutely wasn't complaining. It was a Sunday morning, her only day off. There was salted local butter waiting to be spread, or a squeeze of Huckle's own honey, sweet orange blossom to go with a gentle morning weather. Carenza, said Polly. She had some very busy swearing to do. That sounds like her. What about? Polly tried to ring her back without success. Could be anything with Carenza. Reuben's probably being a putz again. Well, I'd take that as a certainty, said Huckle gravely, standing over the toaster, watching it fiercely. Oh, someone needs to invent a speedy toaster, he complained. A speedy toaster, said Polly. What? Toast takes too long, said Huckle. What on earth are you talking about? I really want some toast. And I put your sourdough in the toaster, which makes the best toast in the world.